Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Athletes. My name is Michael Raziel and I'm your host to the show where I get to interview Olympic athletes and hopefuls on their story and path to the games. Today, we have two-time Olympic downhill alpine skier, Jared Goldberg. Jared was a super cool dude, really, really went to length with us to really describe what he went through, his life, his skiing career, everything that goes into it, what he needs to do, the difference between uh, the different alpine skiing disciplines and which ones are a little bit cooler than the others. But Jared is a super cool dude. I, I really enjoyed hearing about his time at both the 2014 and 2018 Olympics and really what he needed to do to get there and how he did it. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Jared Goldberg. All right, today, two-time Olympian Jared Goldberg, USA, Alpine skiing. Jared was born on June 17th, 1991, up in Boston, Massachusetts. He started skiing when he was two and started competing in, in little kid races, as he likes to say, at age six. Jared was the 2010, here we go, U.S. Junior Championship Combine Champion. Um, he won the downhill title in 2013 at the U.S. Championship and was the overall North American champion that same year. Jared represented us, as I said, twice in the 2014 games in Sochi and the 2018 games in Pyeongchang. Jared, thanks for hanging out with us today, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. No problem. The pleasure is all mine. You do all the work. All I get to do is sit back and ask you a couple questions about it. So I, I think I'm in, I'm in a good place here. So Jared, if you don't mind um, taking us back to the beginning, I mean, getting on skis at two, when, when are kids supposed to start walking? I actually don't know. Um, so I assume it was pretty close after that, right? Yeah, it was pretty close. I think some kids will walk before a year and then sometimes it takes a year and a half to two years. But um, I went right out of the box. I mean, when my parents had a chance to get me on snow, they did. And uh, I remember those days. I remember I remember skiing back then and and uh, I had boot pain right from the beginning. (laughs) I have little flashbacks to stuffing my feet in ski boots and having cold feet. So look at um, that, man. Got a nice taste of it right away. I don't know why I kept doing it. I was going to say from that age and you decided, I mean, you started competing at age six. So what was it like? I mean, just growing up. So where, so you told me you were born in Boston. Where did you actually, did you grow up in Boston or did you move um, around a little bit? So we, yeah, we um, lived in Boston. We went from Boston down to, uh, lived in the Cape for a little bit, Cape Cod. There you go. Um, Where do you ski in Cape Cod? You don't. (laughs) I think there's only cross country skiing. I think that the tallest mount uh, hill there is 25 feet or 30 feet or something so um we would actually drive up to Killington Vermont okay and uh that's where my where my mom's well where my mom's family lived and where she had grown up and uh that's where I learned to ski and um my dad lived in Massachusetts and in Boston and he would uh go up and that's how they met they were both ski instructors so that's how my parents met so um my mom came down and lived in Boston with my dad, and uh, they had me, and then they would go up uh, every weekend to, to ski, and then that's how I started getting into that program of driving the three and a half hours and getting cars sick on the way up. I've heard a lot of stories, but um, yeah, to yeah, about two, two and a half is when I started sliding down hills on planks <laughs> that is very impressive man and that it's it's pretty cool that your parents are um okay with making that drive which sounds like they did it a lot so they probably got you kind of got you know pretty desensitized to it after a little while so when um so you lived in boston moved to cape cod went and skied up in vermont how how long was that period of kind of 
only go like so so in the beginning did you guys go every weekend was it a once a month thing did you only go two or three times those first few years like how did that whole process work out to make you love it so so much you know i think we would go pretty much every weekend um my parents loved to ski so we were, we were up there all the time and uh, we'd go up there and stay with my grandparents so we had somewhere to stay um and then from there um we would just kind of con- we kept going up, but only for a few years, you know, and then my parents had been wanting to move out, out West to, uh, they had gone to Salt Lake and skied at Snowbird and Alta and, and, um, also up in Jackson hole and over in Squaw Valley. And they knew they wanted to get out there somewhere, but they didn't really know where they wanted to go because Jackson hole was, you know, smaller town. They didn't know if they wanted to raise me in a, in a smaller town, even though it would have been awesome to go up there too. Um, Squaw would have been great, but then, you know, they just kind of kept coming back to Salt Lake. Um, my dad was able to, you know, work there and, um, and it was just so convenient having the airport there in the big city and being able to drive 20 minutes to be up at the mountain. Um, so, uh, we ended up making a move out there left. Yeah. On our own, all my parents, friends had been talking about moving out there at some point, but they were, they were the only ones that made it out. They're the only ones that took the leap. That's awesome. They They took the leap. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was great. The first year my, my dad worked as a ski instructor at Snowbird and my mom was on the, uh, worked at the clinic and she's been there for ever since. So killer. Well, thank you. Three years. Yeah. yeah. Thank you to her for that. That's fantastic. And your dad working at the, at the mountain, right? I mean, being yeah, an instructor. He was, yeah, he was an instructor for a, few, a couple of years and then he went and got back to, into what he was doing before, which was a uh, computer consultant consulting so that's still kind of cool i guess i mean working yeah. as the instructor something tells me you got to go onto the mountain what like at just about every day at that point yeah i was actually so when my mom would be up there working in the clinic i i would come up there after school and um kind of was my own babysitter and uh she would tell she would tell the guys uh the ski instructors or whatnot they were doing the night skiing to to keep an eye on me because i was up there just on the little kid lift you know mm-hmm. the, or the, the uh the beginner lift but um I'd go up there and I was actually, uh, I snowboarded a lot when I was younger. So, um, I would just take the snowboard up and go cruise around at night in the lights. So it was fun. I'd go do that for a few hours and then she'd be off work and then we'd leave. (laughs) Everything's cool under the lights, man. I always love that. That is good stuff. So when you were at snowboard, you told me a little bit, um, talk about the snowboard ski team and really what they meant a snowbird ski team and what they meant to you or ski and snowboard team, I guess. Right. Yeah, so it's a SBSEF um, snowboard ski team. We had an awesome, really, really awesome group growing up. Uh, it was it was a family. We were brothers and sisters, pretty much. I mean, we'd travel all over the region, which was uh, the Intermountain Division region. Um, and then we powder skied so much growing up. It was unbelievable. We didn't really train that. We would train when we could, but it would. We'd have two week blocks there where we would just be powder skiing way steep snow every day um so it was definitely we, we had a little hotline growing up they actually still do it but you'd call the hotline they'd say hey guys it's gonna snow another foot and a half tonight uh we have early morning gs training you know giant slalom training but uh don't forget your powder skis because there's a good chance we're not training and you know we'd always get up there and um and it would usually snow and then we'd have the whole mountain to ourselves from seven o'clock until nine o'clock we'd you know you'd have to keep it down the main the main run where we would have trained but we'd just be lapping taking you know have the whole mountain to ourselves self for 
you know, watching the sunrise. It was unbelievable. That is awesome, man. That sounds like every, uh, every scare and every snowboarder's dream, dude. That sounds fantastic. It was. Yeah. We, I mean, we had a really good group too. We had a, we produced, um, the team produced a lot of good skiers that are doing, you know, big mountain and, uh, and other things are in, I'm seeing, you know, teammates of mine in magazines and, and, uh, in matchstick production movies and like big movies like TGR and like, it's, uh, it, it's really cool that we, I mean, we all grew up pushing each other and skiing the tram. The tram is at Snowbirds, a 3,500 vertical. So every round, I mean, we would take like 10 trams a day or more of just sending it down, trying to push each other, trying to race each other to the bottom. And I think that like that team collaboration of trying to beat your friends, but in a, in a fun competitive way, you know, was, mm -hmm. uh, what pushed us all to, to, you know, do stuff afterwards or, and like some of us continue mm -hmm. racing. Mm -hmm. And how long were you on the team for? Um, I was on the team. So when I, from being, I was six years old when I joined, we had a, the Devos, they call them the, uh, the mighty mites. And then all the way up until I was, uh, 17. Oh, okay. So 11 yeah. years. So you were, you yeah. were with some of these guys and girls for, for a minute to say the least. So you really yeah. did, as you said, they were family at that point. It was someone that you'd spent continuous amounts of time with. So that is really cool. And what being on that team really kind of cultivating these relationships, what did that do? And I know you kind of alluded to it already, but what did that do really to not push you in the near term, but really help you realize your potential long term? Um, yeah, I would say like I, I just I knew that we had something really cool going on, and that we were skiing well. And I mean, we'd go to races and with no training and just clean up. And I knew that we were doing something different. And it was funny because we were not the ones that were training all the time. We weren't working on. We were doing some drills, but I hated drills going up. But um, we were doing some drills and and working on our skiing for sure. But at the same time, we were like having the most fun out of any team and going out and then we'd show up to a race and it was funny too because sometimes a lot of times we uh we wouldn't tune our skis ever because it was so soft and then we'd show up at a race and if it was icy we would be we'd all suck but then then you know the first day and then we'd be like oh crap we gotta we gotta tune our mm -hmm. skis tonight so we'd be in there with like our little setup a little bag of uh, tools that are like just dirty and neglected um, and wax and wax and our skis and like getting them all ready because like we didn't, we didn't have to tune that much. So we, and that was something that I figured out later on is, um, you gotta, you gotta pay attention to your skis, especially mm -hmm. when, when they're water in the tracks and water in the Hills, you gotta, you gotta have sharp skis, but yeah, we all, we all learned that there was one particular day where we all really learned that the hard way in uh, Jackson hole where they had, they had injected and watered the hill. And, uh, the first guy, one guy, the whole Western region was really like this, but a guy pushed out of the start and just slid by the first gate. And we were like, Oh no, what's uh, what are we going to do? I grab, I didn't tune my skis either. <laughs> I mean, we barely, you know, we like might've touched them for a second, but they uh, were not nearly sharp enough. And then all, all the East coast guys are, and mm -hmm. uh, West guys were flying down the hill with, with plenty of grip. Well, hey, you learned it the hard way. Thankfully, you learned it at a young age too, and it gave you uh, the uh, the necessary ability to move forward with it. So I love that, man. Yeah. Um, good stuff. It does sound like they they were a pretty big part of um, of your life up to this point. So I'm glad we did get to talk about that a little bit. So if you don't mind, 
giving us a, just a couple minute rundown of alpine skiing, downhill, giant slalom, slalom, the whole nine, just kind of giving us a nice little rundown. Cause again, I watch it once every four years pretty much. Cause that's really the only time I get the to, to do that. Um, and I kind of have to relearn it every single time. Yeah. So you have, um, well, let's start from like least cool to the coolest. <laughs> Please. Um, <laughs> so you, have to do it. you have slalom first. Um, that's the single pole where you're, you know, the guys wear shin guards and pole guards. Um, you're trying to, you're trying to cut, cut the line and um, sh- we call it uh, cross blocking a gate. You're trying to get your skis as close to the gate as you can and to minimize the amount of, of uh, tra- um, from A to B. The, mm-hmm. the line from A to B, you're trying to make that the least amount possible. Um, so you're trying to lean over the gate and put, you know, get a lot of angles and you're actually bending your ski around the gate. Um, so that's slalom. You turn a whole lot. There's usually 55 to 65 turns uh, in a course. And giant slalom. So a little bit bigger. Now you have panels. Just a little bit cooler. A little bit cooler. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're starting. Now you're getting into the. So slalom is probably you know 30 to 30 to 40 miles an hour. Um, now GS is uh, 40 to you know 60 sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, 60 on the very high end for, for speed when it's really straight or something. But, um, yeah, GS is, is cool. It's still, it's, it's a technical event. Slalom and GS are both the, the technical events and, and there's a big difference between, you know, a, we call them tech skiers and, uh, downhill skiers. So downhill skiers like to, you know, they're the guys who like to go straight and they don't, they're maybe their technique's not as good and they like to go fast and have fun and, maybe party sometimes <laughs> and the uh more than sometimes but that depends and uh but then you know the tech guys are the ones that are out there before the lift opens and mm-hmm. that are warming up but, but you know there, there's obviously they're, people in the middle and I'm they're still there. they're out there while you guys are still partying it sounds like yeah or not exactly. you guys i would never put you in that group <laughs> those other guys we there there was an era actually before probably in the last before my era everybody started to get way more into having to be more professional and um but before that it was you know being a downhiller was back in you know billy johnson days um you could get away with not working out very much and just partying your ass off and um so i think we we, there's still little things left over from that but you know across the board you have to in every sport right now you got to work harder you got to go to get get your a good night's sleep before stuff like that um, but anyway, moving on to super G super giant slalom. Um, that's when you're going probably 50 to 70 to 80. It really depends, but now mm-hmm. you're like, you're approaching that higher, the higher speeds there. Um, so that's the speed discipline and you have, now you have skis with a low profile tip, uh, for, for wind. So they don't slap and grab the wind on the way down. Um, it's more aerodynamic. Um, you're, you're in your tuck position. So know you're bent over at the waist and trying to keep that we call it um a bullet getting in your bullet Mm -hmm. it's like if you if you know people will see a skier get into that low position and that um limits your wind drag so you you don't really do that very much in gs and definitely not in solemn um so and then downhill which is the the best event in my opinion Mm -hmm. Um, it's a really fun event it's like i could compare it to going on a like doing a downhill on a mountain bike ride. It's just, you're in the moment and things are coming at you 
quickly, but it it's fun. I mean, your adrenaline is like through the roof. It's mm-hmm. really cool. I mean, we'll have, I've had some amazing, amazingly fun experiences with, with buddies, like getting to the bottom of a course, even if we sucked and just be like hugging each other. Cause it was so much fun. Like that's, you don't see that at the bottom of slalom very much. It, it's just the way it is. But, um, you know, it's so much fun. And it, you know, that now the gates are really far apart. They're sometimes like on the world cup level, it can, the gates can be a couple hundred meters apart. So wow. now you're, okay. now it's turning into a uh, top to top of the hill to the bottom race where you're just, you're following the, the track pretty much mm-hmm. following mm-hmm. the, the piece i mean they'll put down um they got to put gates in part of the rules but um <laughs> they're pretty much following the course which uh-huh. is really cool i mean we have a course in and the, the the speeds that we hit for that are you know upwards of um like 75 plus so we're up to i've been clocked i was going just under 100 miles an hour 99.5 Whoa. In a race, yeah. And then um that same day actually there was records broken. This one guy got uh, like a hundred and one miles an hour. So um Yeah, I can after see that your, year. Your adrenaline yeah. could be pumping during that, dude. That's insane. Oh yeah. I mean it, going that fast is unbelievable. I've never I never you really never really know you're going that fast until the wind there's something funny. So when we try to keep our when we're in that low position, we're trying to keep our chest down, right? Because if you're, if your chest is up, then it, it's called scooping. You're scooping the wind. Mm-hmm. Um, if you imagine, if you put your chest out a car window, as opposed to keeping your head down, it's going to be, there's going to be a huge difference. Um, think about like your arm being outside your, if you, if you're driving down the road on the highway, say you're, say you're going highway speeds and you put your arm out the window like that if you feel that amount of drag mm-hmm. that's how much drag we're dealing with and if the other guy's not doing that then you're going to be you're going to get you're going to be in the back of the dust so um when you go when you was when I was going about 100 miles an hour I was we always think about trying to keep our elbows in but when I was going that fast the wind actually was pushing my elbows in and I was like holy shit I am nuking right now um and also the wind tries to push you off. It put like last year in the same section, the wind grabbed my chest and threw me out and I fell because you're going so fast and it just scoops you. Um, and it just, it's hard to like pull yourself forward and with that amount of force going 80 to hundred miles an hour. Um, so yeah, downhill's badass. I, I really enjoy doing it. Um, I think it, what's really cool about it and my, me and my teammates, you know, talk about this all the time is like the the opportunity is almost cooler than say heli skiing because you, anybody can go heli skiing but you nobody can mm-hmm. just jump into the Hanukkah you know so it takes a lot um it obviously takes so much work to get to that point you know and then you finally get to once you're all dialed in your skis are sharp and like it it's fun it's like powder skiing I would, mm-hmm. I would definitely rate it with that even though it's solid ice sometimes that is, yeah, man. I mean, and you've only been doing it for, you know, let's call it 19 years at this point, right? Give or take 17 years, whatever it is, 20 years. I don't know, whatever that math is. Um, it's, uh, you definitely been doing it a while and you've definitely earned the opportunity um, to be able to do that. And clearly you put in the work to get there too. So I think that that is, um, 
I love the way you describe it, man. Makes me want to maybe put on skis one day. Probably not, but maybe one day. We'll see how it goes. Um, so uh, thank you for that. I do appreciate it. I do want to get back into you a little bit. Um, so you were the 2010 mouthful of U.S. Junior <laughs> Championship Combine champion. Um, yeah, that was an interesting weekend. I remember that. Uh-oh. Interesting. Very well. It's work. We, I, uh, the record button is pressed. So anything from here on out, I just want to let you know. I'm kidding, man. Tell us about it. I mean, what was that like? I mean, winning something that huge when you were 17, 18 years old. Well, okay. Well, I almost quit after that weekend because, wow. yeah, because um, you know, I had, you know, growing out up, growing up out west, we haven't skied in the rain very much, mm-hmm. and we had you know, that year nationals was at uh, Whiteface. And I've never been so wet in my life on a hill. And I remember I was sitting underneath this uh, tree pad, you know, that, that, that all the trees and the lift towers have. And I picked, the, I grabbed the tree pad off, I un, unraveled it from the tree and I wedged it between this V on the tree. And I was the, I was sitting under it and I was trying to, trying to get a little bit of coverage from, from the rain. Everybody else was soaking wet. And I'm sitting under there shivering and freezing. And I'm like, what am I, what the hell am I doing? This is not fun. Um, some people didn't really phase. The East Coast kids didn't really phase. But um, I, us West guys were like, we're, I'm quitting. I'm definitely quitting now. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, it was an interesting week. I mean, they actually, it was so wet there that sometimes the snow gets rotten when it rains a lot. Um, the temperature is higher. So they will actually put, more water you would never think this but they'll actually spray they'll take fire hose and hoses and spray water on the course and then put chemicals on it like a salt chemical mm-hmm. and it allows it because they put so much more water in it it allows it to um dry suck it up suck up the water and, and freeze it just like similar to the ice that you or the mm-hmm. salt that you would throw on ice outside your house it like um on your driveway like it it freezes it and that was the only way that we could ski and it was so ruddy and um and i remember and then uh funny thing too is that uh all our stuff was so soaking wet and then yoon olsen who's a big free skier was doing his comeback he had had a bet for like fifty thousand dollars with one of the swedish teammate um national team guys that he couldn't make it to the olympics and and so he took the bet and this guy, I mean, have you heard of you know Olsen before? The name rings a bell, but I don't you know, know too much yeah. about him. Though. He's just a bit, yeah, really popular um, free skier. And, and he was, I mean, I got, I got his poster on my wall, actually. Like he's <laughs> a yeah. badass dude. Um, and, but, you know, I got to know that guy and stuff. But I remember he came in and just ripped his suit off and, and gloves and everything. And it was like, you guys can have this stuff. Like left everything. It was so wet because he had to fly. Um, so he just put it in a big pile. He's like, you guys can have this stuff. It was all brand new stuff. We're like, Oh no, no way. It's like, we grabbed, we like, everybody jumped on this stuff, Uh you know? Um, yeah, that was an interesting weekend. And I didn't even know that I had, um, won the combine because they combine, um, it's not like a super combine where everything's in one day. It was, uh, it was over like a multiple days. So like I had just been up there, did all right, trying to get through the weekend and they're like, and, and when the awards came on, they're like, oh, and uh, Jared Goldberg wins the, the combine. I was like, what? I won something? Cool. And then I went up there and it was kind of like a, 
yeah, good end of the weekend, I guess. Yeah, get, I think that's some hardware. <laughs> yeah, make your make your rainy weekend a little bit better if you found out that yeah, even though you hated every second of it, it kind of was worth worth your time being there. So that is super super cool, man. So at that point, I mean, so you're 18 years old, let's call it 17, 18, whatever it is. You said you wanted to quit, but something tells me you weren't actually going to quit. You just didn't want to race in the rain anymore. So yeah. was that like was that one of the events that kind of helped you realize like, Oh my, okay. Like this can be a legitimate career path for the next few years. Like the Olympics are a possibility or, or did that come a little bit before or after this event? Um, you know, I, I didn't, I still didn't really know what I, what I was going to do. Um, it seemed like it was so far away still. I mean, I was, we had gone over to Europe a, a couple of times and I just got my ass handed to me. Um, it's harder over there. I mean, the conditions are, can be very pretty rainy and they can be crappy, especially in the, you know, lower level races, they kind of just throw racing wherever they can. Um, but there's so many kids that do it there. It's like, it's like being, um, being a European, you know, football player mm -hmm. and coming over to Texas and trying to like make, to try out for the team, you know, mm -hmm. it's just like you, you're so far behind. Uh, so it, it, it's a real, uh, whooping at the beginning. And, um, I just, I just figured I would keep going with it. Like I, I was having fun and, you know, I was figuring out a lot of things. Like I really liked the process and, and having to work through things. And what was cool is that I would feel like I was totally screwed and nothing was going my way. And then I would just continue working and like I'd problem solve. And then all of a sudden I'd have a good day and then, you know, and then I'd maybe have a bad day and then I'd have a good day again. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. Like ups and downs, you know, like mm -hmm. everybody would always, um, talk about, but, um, I just kept going and I, and then it got better and better. And then, um, that's, yeah, that's kind of why I kept with that. You kind of just, yeah. but I didn't, were... I didn't really know, sorry. I didn't really know that I was going to keep going with, it. I just kept going, you mm -hmm. know, it mm -hmm. wasn't like, okay, I can, I can do this now. I knew that after probably when I was 21, things started coming together. Um, I started, doing well in, um, well, it was really when I was 20, I started figuring it out on the, on the North American cup tour, which is, you know, Canada and, and the U S we have this, uh, tour. And then if you accumulate points from doing well, then that qualifies you for the world cup. And mm -hmm. I was starting to have good days there and I was like, okay, I'm like starting to figure this out. And then the next year I started, you know, really racking up the points. And that was the year that I, I, got the the overall title mm -hmm. in the norams which i had gone from like being pretty far behind to like being a serious player and then i started um yeah i mean that was a really big year for me because i went in a t in a crazy way because i was doing europa cups which is like the european version of our noram cups mm -hmm. i was doing all the norams and i was doing a few new uh, world cups wow so I was bouncing around the globe for, for a few months, like not, not getting home that much. I mean, I, I'd scoot home for a week or, or something, but I was so exhausted at the end of that year, but it was good. I got, I, you know, I got some goals out of the way and then like that, that's kind of when I made the next step to, okay, like I can be, I can be on the world cup. Like I've, I've passed through this next level. And that's the thing too, with Alpine, like, which is similar to every sport, but 
we just can, you know, you make it through one level and then you get knocked down to the, and you go to the next level and mm-hmm. you're starting back in the weeds and then you go to the next level and then you're back at the end and you're getting your ass kicked and you go to the next level. And then I finally got to the world cup and I'm like, Oh no, not again. Like I'm at the, I'm at the back of the bus again. And, um, yeah. And it, and, but I started to have, you know, a couple of good races and was showing speed at times. Cause, um, on the world cup, it's cool. You get to be able to, you know, see your split times and you can see like, if you're having good sections in the course, there's usually like four or five of them. So you can say, oh, okay, I was fast on the middle section. I was like, you know, 15th on that section. And then I was 50th on the next section and then 10th there, like, and then 60th, like you can see like, okay, like I have, I have speed. I just need to put it together mm-hmm. in, in an entire run, which I'm still working on. <laughs> <laughs> so it tells me you'll continue to work Six on years that. Later. Max mastering your craft, man. It's, it's something that, um, you know, obviously being at the level you're at competing against the best in the world, there's always room for improvement. And I mean, where you are, it's always, I I always like to ask like what it's like with, with being on the United States team, like the ability to get the nutrition, the coaching, the training, the facilities that you need, because at, at, at the level you're at, everyone's already at 99%, right? Everyone's an amazing athlete. It's just that little extra that you do that's really going to separate you, right? So being on the United States team for so long, what has that been able to do for your racing and, and your your improvement in the sport over the last, what? how long have you been on the U.S. team actually? Eight last, years. Eight years? So, so yeah, what's yeah. that been able to, like ha- have you compare that to the years before it and, and the amount you've increased com- comparatively, I guess? If yeah, that you know, not the yeah, greatest get, question. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's cool. Um, you get a lot of good training opportunities with the team that that are really hard to get on your own. I mean, they have connections and and everything's been pretty set in stone. You know, we go down to New Zealand. We have places to train that uh, that like to help out the U.S. team. Uh, we get good surfaces. Like that's really important for us is making sure that the hills that we get on have a good snow, have good snow conditions or else we're wasting our time. If they, mm-hmm. you know, if they groom it the morning before we're, we might as well go, go home sometimes. Um, sometimes I can help, but usually like if you, you need it to be pretty hard snow, um, the coaches will go there early and they'll water it sometimes. Um, which I'm not a huge fan of, but you know, the, the, the tech guys like that. So mm-hmm. we usually end up skiing on that stuff too, which it can make you, it can make you better too. Um, other than that, uh, you just get resources from the team. Mm-hmm. Um, you get a better, you get a workout plan. Um, you get connections with a lot of like you get business connections as well. So that can be cool. You get free schooling to an extent. So that's pretty um, solid. Yeah. So, which has helped me. Like I've been able to take some classes over the years at mm-hmm. Westminster College in Salt Lake. And then now I'm kind of hovering between the, now I took a, a class this summer at the U university of Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we can, you know, that gets paid for from the team. So mm-hmm. yeah, kind of, there, there are a lot of cool things about it. Um, something that was kind of cool is before. So I was on the snowbird ski team and then for a, about a year and a half, I went with this other uh, private coach and um, his name is uh, Florian and, and, we were team flow and we had just a couple of few guys. And at the time, you know, we were trying to, I was trying to get more trips over to Europe because he, he's a Slovenian guy. So we would get over to Europe and he knew everyone. He knew like where to go and where to train. And uh, that was just, we even went and trained uh, in, in an indoor facility 
which was really bizarre uh, for mm-hmm. a few days called uh, Wittenberg. It's in, in the middle of nowhere, Germany. Uh, giant, it's a giant ice rink turned on its side. Mm-hmm. Um, but believe it or not, I mean, it's, uh, I, it, there was nothing that fun about doing that, except it made you so much better at skiing. Um, when I went to anything that had any ice on it, it was nothing compared to that. I mean, it was, it was yep. so icy. You could, it was shiny. Um, so yeah, we had a, I had a great time doing that. And that just like kind of made me like begin to be a little bit more professional. Mm-hmm. And then when I went into the team, the U S ski team, then, you know, I was like, I had these tools and like how to organize myself and, um, you know, how to work on my skis and mm-hmm. make make them decent <laughs> uh stuff like that so. love it man yeah yeah so that that's it clearly it's it's been helpful and and you've been able to get some things out of it which is what i really um really like to see so so going back to your story a little bit in 2013 obviously is when you started crushing it and um you obviously won the u.s championships you won the noram um and then you kind of just use that momentum and go right into the 2014 game. So, I mean, going to the games, the experience around it, the opening ceremonies, tell us a little bit about that first time um, in Russia and, and the whole experience you had there. Yeah. Russia was really cool. Actually, if, if Sochi was the mountain that was closer to get to, I would want to travel there and go there Heck all yeah. the time. It was like probably one of the coolest mountains I've ever been to. We actually went there a year before for a test, just a training mm-hmm. camp. And it dumps snow probably about a meter before we got there. And the mountain hadn't opened yet to anybody. So we had the whole top of the mountain to ourselves. And it was some of the best powder I've ever had. Uh, It was like heli skiing, I would say. And we were just lapping on the gondola all day. And uh, one of my my technician at the time, Kyle Darling, was – he had powder skis and I had powder skis because we had actually both come from – Kyle was – one of the older guys on the snowboard ski team when I was growing up. So it was really cool because he ended up, he was always, you know, a guy I looked up to. And then after that, when he was done racing, he went and did some things. And then he ended up coming to the U S team as a technician. He was my technician that year. So we were out there, like we had such a good year of powder skiing that year all over Europe. Um, but yeah, we were crushing it. in Sochi. it was so much fun. Uh, he actually went down, a trail and way out to the right. And he got in trouble because he was setting off, uh, they had laser beams out in the trees to keep because Georgia was right on the other side and they were like con- conflicting Russia and, and Georgia. And um, the border was right on the top of the mountain. So he had been going outside of the the country's border and he had, I guess he had snipers on him and stuff in the crosshairs. <laughs> All right. And they were watching. He's just going down like, whoo, <laughs> and uh, just getting face shots and, and powder all over, you know, all over the place. And, um, we found out later that they were like, you cannot be over there that you were literally in the crosshairs of guys. Um, I don't know. I don't think they were that close to, I knew they probably knew, um, that he wasn't a big threat, but mm-hmm. from the smile on his face, maybe or something. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting right from the box. I mean, we went there because we were there the year before they were, they weren't even close to being done with the mountain. So, um, they had a ho- with like the lifts and, uh, the, the accommodations for the millions of people that were going to become or whatever the next year, hundreds of thousands that they had to house. I mean, like half of the hotels were, were sort of done. And then mm-hmm. the other half were not even close to being completed. Um, this was interesting. I mean, guys, 
standing around with, with AKs and uh, we had to go through security every day to get up the lift, which was cool. Hmm. Kind of a pain in the ass. Just like, yeah. I mean, imagine if imagine going through security at, you know, at the airport and then imagine having to do it with all your ski equipment. Mm-hmm. And we had, we had stuff like we had these, uh, uh, these back protectors. So we wear these padded back protectors and inside we had a, a GPS because we were testing this new technology that, when you that it would push when you push out of the start it would actually record with a little um dot it would record you going down through the course so a guy would go down and mark every single gate on the way down and you would put your little ball and start the program and it would show where you went and your mm-hmm. line and everything and then another guy would wear a back protector with the same thing and then you would compare and mm-hmm. you were able to see how many g forces you had in this turn and we had one turn in particular that was like a big, big, long, um, we call it a you know, double turn. It was a, a delay. And uh, if you went really straight at it, it would be really fast immediately. But then in the next flat section, you would lose a bunch of time. So mm-hmm. we like found interesting things like that, uh, that if you went way wider, it was actually better. Um, so that was cool. That was like my first experience there. Uh, just to get an idea of it. And I'm really actually glad I had gone there the year before because the next year was way less of a shock to me mm-hmm. um, for the, for the actual Olympics. Um, for the Olympics, we had a big hotel. We had, we had like one of the nicest places to stay uh, with guards. And, um, but we were, we were actually joking. We we're like, it's probably going to be just barely getting finished painted and everything. Cause I knew they were way behind. And what do you know, when we showed up, there was a guy rolling paint on the outside and the whole mm-hmm. place smelled like paint. And, uh, in the first night we were trying to sleep and the, they were jackhammering on the fifth floor in the middle of the night. And the whole hotel was where everybody opens their door and they're like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> That's um, awesome. yeah. So they, oh, it was such a weird experience. I mean, we, they locked our doors. So, we, and they broke the handle off cause they didn't want us to, they didn't want anybody to break in and try to. Mm-hmm. try to steal us away or something try to abduct us so they they had taken our handles off and but inside was so hot that in the middle of the night my my teammate Travis Ganong had to go to the front desk and and beg them to open it up and they didn't have the handles so they had to call a guy who had to drive and bring the handles so we could we couldn't sleep and we're here we are at the Olympics and we can't mm-hmm. we have a training run in a day or two and we're not even able to sleep it's so hot but we we it buffed out and we figured everything out uh, but, oh, it was just a funny thing like that, but the actual hill is amazing. The, the track was one of the, you know, very difficult, like on, on par with, you know, with a Kitzbühel Han and Con, um, mm-hmm. but a really fun hill to ski. Like you were, it's a, a little bit intense at the top. You were a little bit, I was nervous. Everyone's a little nervous. It was dark, but, um, but then it turns into all sun and big, long sweeping turns and huge jumps. The biggest jumps I've ever hit in, in a race really. Like you're flying through the air and doing little, like I'd have my hands behind my back with my using my hands to adjust my flight mm-hmm. while I was going, which is something that you don't usually have enough time to do. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, is- I really hope we get to go back there, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, everything around it sounds, um, interesting to say the least the skiing sounds like you had a good time. I mean, does something like that, like hitting, hitting jumps like that when you're usually not used to doing it. I mean, maybe i'll just answer this question it sounds like the downhill guys would be really into something like that and then 
maybe the technical guys aren't as interested in doing those kind of things or am I just kind of painting a painting a picture with a broad brush? Yeah, I think when we when we see something kind of dangerous and scary, we'll at first we'll, <laughs> we'll say, Okay, that that is kind of gnarly. But you know, then you see somebody go and you're like, Okay, that okay, that looks pretty fun. And like that that rush uh-huh. that you get from being at the start and like the way that I would explain it like to somebody who doesn't ski, like if you're jumping off a cliff into water and it's a bigger cliff than you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, and you look over it and you like go back and you look over it and then you see somebody go and then you're like, okay, I'm going to do this and mm-hmm. then you do it. And you get that like a adre- that kind of butterfly adrenaline feeling before you go. And it's the same thing Like you, you look at it in inspection and you, I don't know how this is going to run. Um, everyone's like, yeah, I don't know. This looks kind of fast. Like this jump looks really big. And then like every time when we get to the bottom, like everyone's like, Oh my God, mm-hmm. that was so much fun. Holy shit. Like, like high fiving. And, uh, because it is fun. Like the more like kind of risky and it, it, it is, the more you get that, that feeling of like, you probably get like skydiving or mm-hmm. well, I, I have gotten that skydiving, but like that feeling of just that rush where you're like, Oh, that was so much fun, much fun. I want to go up immediately and do that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. Yeah. I mean, I've jumped off those cliffs before. Um, I've been the first person to jump and I've definitely been like the fourth or fifth person to go and kind of wait it out a little bit. So I know what you're talking about when it comes yeah. to that. Um, but what about everything else around the Olympics? Obviously it seemed like you had a really good time skiing. You had a lot of fun. What about all like the media and, and just like the experience of understanding that I mean, you're representing the United States uh, on one of the highest possible levels, you know, like what, what was that like in kind of taking that all in? Yeah. So what was really cool is, you know, suddenly we were like getting all this attention, which is, Mm -hmm. which, you know, you're not used to. I mean, we'll go sometimes in Europe, sometimes in Europe, we'll, we'll kind of get that attention with, with uh, media and whatnot, but not by, not from Americans really, you know, we'll, we'll see one American journalist or, or two, but, uh, they're, they're all over the place. And like, they're really interested in what you're doing, uh, and what sport you are. And they're trying to talk to you. And we actually had a press conference, which was, uh, I think it was like the first day we got there and I was tired and, and pretty nervous. Cause I looked inside and there was probably a hundred people in there waiting for it. And, you know, we had the big hitters too. We had, with Bodie was there and, uh, and a couple of those guys. So they were, they were, all the media was there and we just happened to like nail it where like everybody was, it was convenient for them to be there and everything. So I walked in and tripped over a coat rack immediately and it was the loudest thing uh, ever. It was like the loudest coat rack I think they could possibly have bought. And I tripped as I walked in, which was great because there's all these cameras and shit. And uh, that was a really good way to break the ice. And um, I went straight up to the mic and I was like, well, that was a real entrance. Have you ever seen as good an entrance as that or whatever? (laughs) And um, everyone started laughing and it was fine. Um, It was, it was all good, but you know, it was just like having that kind of, you know, it's kind of like a little bit just from like watching movies is like, and it's not anything like this, but probably like what an astronaut might feel where you're like kind of going to the shuttle and you're like, and you're kind of, you're wearing your team USA kit and, and people are like, Oh, like there they are. Like there's a downhill team. It's just kind of cool mm-hmm. in that regards. Um, mm-hmm. And they're like, what do you think about that downhill track? Like, what do you think about the going up there tomorrow? You know, it's just like, mm-hmm. cause you have like that big day coming up and uh, 
I don't know. It's just kind of cool because everybody's dressed up in their in their Team USA stuff, mm-hmm. and um, when, and we're just constantly asking and answering all these questions, and uh, it's cool. And then, like you know, later on, we got to go to the opening ceremonies, which was you know amazing for the first time to do that. Like a lot of waiting around mm-hmm. uh, to, to be expected, but um, it was really cool uh we went out what was really weird about it is that it didn't seem as like on tv like it looks massive in the in what but when you're out in the middle of it if you look around there's so many people there actually like they're actually there i think there was like a hundred thousand people there something ridiculous but when you're in the middle of it 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 kind of eerily quiet and um we're just walking down and like you could even hear your footsteps we're like this is weird mm. and you know it you know why because because uh, the Russians hadn't walked out yet. So mm. the other, you know, the other teams were just walking out and they're like kind of doing the little like golf clap. Um, but, but when, when Russia came out, then it was like the whole place erupted, um, you know, so it, it was is. cool to do that. And I think like that gave me a lot of energy for mm-hmm. my run. And that was something that, you know, I was talking with Bodie Miller about it you know, he's, he had been to like five Olympics or something and, and he was going to, and we we're like, you're going to go to the opening ceremonies. Haven't you been to like a bunch of these? And he's like, yeah, but I, I got to do it. Like it, it gives you this energy that you can't, you can't mimic. You get, it's the priceless energy, like that you're okay. You're doing something bigger than, than just another ski race. Like this is like really cool. And like, I'm going to go do it. So he went and did it and we we're like, Oh, that's kind of cool. Oh, so yeah, we did it. And it definitely did it. Like, cause when you're up on the Hill, like there was nobody really there. Like mm-hmm. the, the crowd was, was tiny and they were only allowed to come up for the race day. So when you're up there for the training runs, there's like the media people. But other than that, there's, there's not even really like any parents up there or anything. Like it's just pretty empty. So you don't really feel like you're at a big race, mm-hmm. uh, even on the race day, which is really funny. Cause we go, we go from, we had Kitzbühel with the week before where you have 80,000 people there. So the Olympics right. like seems like a like chill, really chill event. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you remember that there's like 35 million people watching you on NBC that day. Right. And then that's yeah, kind of, you don't think about that. No, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure it's, that's what, that's an after the fact kind of thing. But um, one question I always like to ask the athletes is, and, you know, it obviously seems like you took a lot of that energy and you used it, but I found that there's kind of like two different camps. There's one camp that, just pretends that the Olympics is just another race and you've done this a million times and you're not worried about it. And the other camp says, no way, this is the Olympics. I'm going to use every ounce of energy from this and really use it and go forward. It sounds like you were kind of in the latter group, but tell me a little bit about that and kind of how you were able to either harness that energy or just kind of try and put your mind at ease and be like, you know, I've done this only a thousand times at this point. It's just another race. Yeah. I I would say I'm probably in the middle on that one actually, Mm -hmm. because, um, yeah. in one regards, like you're, you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Like, it's just like the same thing, like continue, like stay, um, you know, just race. Like you do this all the time. Like, why do you need to make any a big deal about this? And like some people can get really screwed over because they suddenly change up their entire day. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm going to, I got to do this. Cause it's like a big day. And like that can, that can drive you crazy. Uh, and, but like what I've found and like from going to, and that's something that you learn too. Like you go to, like, that was my first Olympics. I had never been to a world champs before, which are like a little bit, they're a little bit more chill, I would say. Um, but you learn that 
you're not you're you're pretty much at a world cup but it's different you're like it's more like an inclusive like you're invited to be part of this smaller race so it can be kind of cool because you don't not everybody's there mm-hmm. so you feel like you're part of this like cool little like secret race or something but um yeah i think that like using you can use the energy in I like to use the energy in like a positive way and just say like, okay, like I'm not going to try harder, but I'm going to use this to just be more like have more energy to like have more fun. Like Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. just be like, I want to show people what I do. And like, I just want to, I just want to show people what I do and that Mm -hmm. I have a lot of fun doing this. And like, this is my sport. Like we don't get to show people what we do um, in America all the time. So that's how I look at it, but I don't try to do anything crazy different mm-hmm. or anything or like send it harder because that's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. But um, then, so then, I'm trying to block that. I'm, I'm trying to like keep doing what I do, but then use the energy to be like, I'm going to ski like as well as I can because you know, mom, like, everybody's, all my friends are watching. Mm-hmm. So that's how I do it. Yeah. I love it, man. Yeah. And that makes sense. I mean, it, not screwing with your routine. If your routine works, just keep doing it. Um, but it's always it's always a fun question to ask because I'm always curious how uh, I mean your your brains I mean your elite athletes your brains are a little diff- wired different than some of ours uh, so called normal people so I'm always curious and then um, I know we're starting to butt up on time a little bit but you know I'll hang out for a little longer if you're cool with it so if you don't mind actually comparing you know 2014 and 2018 so now you're four years older four years wiser four years better potentially um, you've done all of the things you wanted to do the first time it sounds like so what was the difference in mindset going into the 2018 games you know just a few short months ago so you know between the 2014 olympics and and the 2018 like there was a lot you know there's four years in there yeah where i was doing things i was continuing like it had really helped to get to that level where I was doing the games and then after that I got to go back to the world cup which now the world cup kind of felt like way more doable for me Mm -hmm. um okay like I've done the olympics I've been there this is like less of uh, less pressure for this race you know stuff like that like so I continued on and then over those years like we had so we had world world champs actually at home the next year at beaver creek and I had some really good like moments of, 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 uh, showing that showing what I can do. Mm -hmm. Um, had a really good downhill run in the combined and then, uh, and then had a big mistake in the slalom. But like, I, then I started to say, okay, like I got, cause I was third in the downhill run. I was like, okay, like I have speed to be in there. And it just like kept continuing off that. And then I also had several injuries, um, which I like had, blew my back out, blew my shoulder out and tore my Achilles. Mm. So it was just kind of tough over those years. Like where, like the year before, um, last season, I was, you know, it was a comeback year. I had lost my, my ranking. So I had, I had to start back. We call it starting back in the weeds where you're starting 65, you know, whatever, 55 and later, like you're starting the weeds because there's two minute intervals or more at a course at a, at a race. So if you're starting number one and you go at 1230 in the afternoon, you can imagine if there's two minute intervals all the way till 65, what time you're running mm-hmm. and there's four minute TV breaks. There's three of those and there's course holds. And I mean, I've, there was days I wouldn't get to run until like four o'clock and it was, it gets dark there at like three. Mm-hmm. So it starts to get dark over in Europe, like get three. So that was really hard, but I think that it, kind of like 
toughened me up and made me take a take a seat back and or it made me like take a look at it and say you know what like I don't really care what happens like I'm just here I'm racing downhill like this mm-hmm. is fun um I don't give a shit and that's like kind of what I started doing is just being like well and then you know it seems like such a like normal thing that like everyone says that like oh I just stopped caring but I didn't stop caring I just kind of was like you know what I'm just gonna enjoy this because I'm starting like so far back and I'm literally, I'm in ruts up to my waist, like some or knees to waist. Like, um, so I just continued, uh, pushing through. And then like that year was another like building year for like, like to toughen me up. And I had some good, good races that year. Um, and really started to pick it up at the end of the year. And then coming into this year, you know, my, you know, leg was all healed. Like I was mentally like feeling way better and like got my ranking down again. Uh, so I was able to start in, in the top 30, which is, which helps a lot because then you, you get a much cleaner course and, um, and you they get to, you don't have this big, like you don't have like a second or two that are just like gone from mm-hmm. starting so late. Cause the course gets so slow by the end. It can't, there's like a, every once in a while it'll get a little faster, but usually it's, it doesn't. Uh, so that was like, those were building years for me. I think like going in, too. And then we had another world champs where at St. Moritz in, uh, in Switzerland. So where I was really close to doing well again, it's just like, those are all just the, the bullshit that you go through when mm-hmm. you're trying to get to a, the top of a sport where everybody is a lot of the majority of the guys that are really good in our sport that are top three are like over 30, at least, you know, they're guys, there's, I mean, there's guys that are like mid 30. So, um, they have, almost 10 years more some guys have 10 years more experience than i do so i have to compete against those guys and and they got faster skis than me they got a better they got way better technique so um and they've just been working on it for another decade mm-hmm. exactly so, uh, those are the things that like i've been working on for the last few years but um going into you know 2018 i felt like i was in a position where i was a I was in the game now. Like I, I compare, I was light years ahead of where I was the time before. Like I was actually like, you know what? Like I could really like do something here. And I didn't, but I didn't care if I did or didn't, you know, mm-hmm. it was like, I am going to try the, try my hardest. And, um, that's all I could do really. And that's what I did. But that was, that's a whole nother story. This last Olympics was Weathery, to say the least. Ah, okay, um, yes. And that was something that I don't think a lot of people really could understand. Um, the general public doesn't understand that at all. They don't understand that if there's a little breeze of wind that you're, and somebody else doesn't have that wind, that you're you're at a serious disadvantage. I mean, we had there's the eleven. The wind would come up every day at a certain time, and it would blow directly up the hill. And the course is not very steep. It's a very moderate downhill track. So you're never up to the, you're not up to the speeds. Of, you're not up to 90, 80 to 90. You're like more like in the mid 70 to like high 70 range mm-hmm. tops. So there's never anywhere that like is so fast that you can like catch up speed. You kind of have your, if you lose a little bit of speed, say on the top, like that's kind of your speed the whole way down. So we were dealing with a lot of weather and changes and, uh, the downhill day had actually gotten moved to a week later. I remember that. And yeah. They were, and they were pressured to just do it anyway. Um, and 
that sucks because you worked, I worked for whatever my whole life or like, and especially the, the, the four years since the games before to get to that position and everything was going really well. And I was getting to that position and, and like nobody after like bib 10 or whatever, like had a chance. I mean, everyone was seconds out in places that they would, that so hard to lose that much time. So I don't think that, I mean, if I've actually like read some articles and like looked at stuff um, from the other events and heard the, you know, it's only the people complaining that didn't get on the podium really, you know, or that mm-hmm. didn't win. So mm-hmm. it, you got to take, you got to know that like people are always going to complain about something, but like it was windy as shit this time mm-hmm. and gates would be blowing on the ground sometimes. And like in the combined, at least they had to move the gates um, way around uh, the jump. So you'd actually not get near because they're worried about people's feet getting pushed out from under them, mm-hmm. which can be very dangerous, obviously. And at high speed. And there was like a, tornadoes going down in the slalom i mean but what are you gonna do that you got to have the race sometimes but um mm-hmm. it's unfortunate because it's an out, outdoor sport and and if uh, there's things like that going on it can c- completely kind of make it yeah very 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 difficult for if you have things working against you you know mm-hmm. no yeah i i mean i'll be honest i i can't really understand because i've never been nearly at your level in anything outside because i'm not the biggest fan of being cold so i don't go outside too often but i do understand kind of the 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 necessity of having it as as clean as possible and it doesn't sound like that was the the opportunity i mean i remember that they had to push it back when i was watching it. i mean again this was only a couple months ago how they had to push it back and they were contemplating this and contemplating that and um even the announcers i don't remember who exactly was it I don't remember, but they were talking about how, yeah, like even this small amount of wind, like everybody's kind of, you know, if you have to deal with this, it's not good. It's not going to help your time. It's really only going to hurt you. So, you know, as you said, um, it's usually the people that don't make the podium that are complaining, but I think you have a pretty, pretty legitimate case. And uh, it is unfortunate. I mean, again, you worked your whole life. You worked specifically, especially the last four years to get to this point and it's, it's just unfortunate. Um, I guess, again, if you don't mind just kind of comparing then the, the experience of your second games, you know, again, a little wiser, a little older, you're the seasoned vet. Not many people get to go to two games, man. That's absolutely incredible. So I hope, I hope that you, you do take that part of it, but how did you then kind of go into the 18 games, I guess, rather than on the racing side, like the mental aspect, the, the media side, the experience side, did you do anything different or was it just, well, let me soak it all in again? Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't go into it the same way. I, I think when I was 22 and I went to the first ones, I was, you know, wide open, mm-hmm. wide eyes, you know, like, well, this is awesome. Um, I'm young. I'm just going to take this in and, and just have so much fun here. And, you know, I think this time was a little bit, a little bit different. I was, like I was saying, like, I'm, I was, I knew that I was part of the race now um, that I was, that I had the speed to do, to do well and like it didn't really matter about like doing well or whatever but I knew that I could put down good runs and that's what I wanted to do so uh the games were the games were different it was a completely different setup over there I mean we were staying out in the middle of nowhere at this little YMCA style like little camp um staying in in these uh little rooms and and we're about 10 minutes down the road and the other teams were staying at this big hotel but we didn't we didn't get into that big hotel because that was a real risky thing. If you like the teams didn't know that that hotel was going to be done mm-hmm. and it was also crazy expensive and, and whatever, but 
they didn't know that that hotel was going to be done and it wasn't looking like it was going to be finished in time. So we switched gears and went and, you know, got this other uh, accommodation down the street and it was completely out of the way and there was no media there, no media allowed there uh, or anything like it was so quiet. So, and it was the same guys that I had been racing with all year. So it was different between Sochi is that we had that big hotel I was talking about where Mm -hmm. we had all the athletes and you had, and it was cool. It was like, you had like the camaraderie of like the snowboard uh, snowboard team, um, half pipe guys and, and skier cross snowboard cross and, uh, and the women's Alpine team and, and whatever, all these different teams that were in the same hotel, eating breakfast together, eating dinner together. And we would, you could hang out with people that would have a competition the next day and you'd watch and we had this big, big screen set up in the cafeteria area and you could watch the people that you just had breakfast with, like go out and, and crush it and like get a medal or like have a bat, you know, whatever crash or like you got to watch them on TV and just watch them be in the Olympics. And that was really, really cool. And, uh, but in Peyang Chang, we were a totally different setup. It was like the four, four of us, five of us that we'd been with all year on the speed mm-hmm. team because the, the speed venue was all the way in the middle of nowhere, a couple hours in the middle of nowhere. So, um, they literally had, they couldn't put it anywhere else. They had to put it on the biggest mountain they could find because it's not a very mountainous area. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not even natural snow really. So it's really weird setup. Uh, we were going on hikes in the afternoon and totally dry, uh, out in the, like hanging out in the grass, like sunning, but, and then it would be freezing cold one day. It was really cold when we showed up there. And then by the end it got pretty comfortable, but that was another thing is Sochi was so warm and they were having trouble with having enough mm-hmm. snow. And then it, at, uh, in Korea, they had plenty of snow, but it was so cold that you would, I mean, we had these heated pants that our sports science got us that had a little battery in them and they would warm our legs up so that we were like to get us warmer for the, mm-hmm. for the course. Uh, it was freezing and you're, but you can actually feel it in your ski boots a lot. you the plastic gets super cold and you pretty much go from having being able to flex your boot on a regular day to if it's really cold like that you can't even your boot is solid it's like mm-hmm. sad. uh so like those little things those little things factor in uh but yeah and then the ho- and then the uh the actual ski area is was just a private little ski area for us mm-hmm. so, yeah um, that's definitely definitely a very interesting um a comparison i mean considering i mean you were with these four or five dudes as you said for the entire year and then at this event as you said the the one before the olympics before you got to hang out with just about everyone on the team and now you're kind of just again like relegated to the guys and i'm, I'm sure that's not a problem but at the same time just with you know the the spectacle of the olympics i'm sure it would have been pretty cool to be able to stay with some of the athletes it's unfortunate it didn't happen yeah it's um, that energy i was like that exactly energy that yeah. i had was like oh that person got a medal like i I can go out there and like, I can do that too. Like that's just a regular person. Like mm-hmm. I'm friends with them, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that, which um, we didn't have in the next one, but that was, you know, that was just how it was. I mean, everything was all over the place spread out. There wasn't even really a place to just party. People were saying like there was, it wasn't like in, in uh, Sochi where there was like an area that you could go to. It was just very, like very weird and, and, kind of all over the place and, mm-hmm. and cold so people didn't really want to go out and walk around like it mm-hmm. was yeah it was it was uh interesting for sure but i mean that was a real reason that we 
tried to go to um, the opening ceremonies, which was a story like pretty, pretty interesting story. We, um, we went there, we, we went on a later bus to leave and we were like, Oh, we'll be fine. We'll just drive right up to the front of it and go in while well, we, when we went there, they had it blocked off for like two miles in every direction to get in. It was, there was no cars allowed inside this two mile radius. So we missed the turn and we looked at our phones and we realized that it said like an hour and a half until we get to get there and we could see the opening ceremonies uh, building right there. And we're like, wait, hour and a half, like that can't be right. And uh, we're like, holy shit, we, there's nowhere to turn around for an hour and a half for 45 minutes each way. So we ended up having to, we finally found, we kept stopping and looking and we finally found a U-turn, one of those illegal U-turn spots. Mm -hmm. And we bent, we had to pull the gate open and we literally couldn't have fit like anything on the side. It was, we had the windows in, the mirrors in, and we cranked open the gate and barely got ourselves through. And then we sent it back and then we had to talk a guy into letting us in. And then we were driving down the street with no cars Mm. and it was really an eerie thing. Uh, And then it was just another thing. Once we got dropped out of the car, we had to go try to get in. We didn't have any tickets, but we had our full outfit on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing about it that was funny is that we were trying to save like 30 minutes Mm -hmm. and have a little bit more time. I needed to get physical therapy, like stuff like that. I'm like, why are we leaving at 530? Why don't we leave at six? You know? it doesn't start till nine, like stuff like that. And we ended up, it was not easy. It was not a very easy situation. I mean, we had to talk our way in with no tickets, only had the outfit on and they didn't seem to register that we were wearing the full outfit. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we finally, yeah, we got people to help us, but we were running around like chickens with our heads cut off for a while. Um, finally got in there and then walked in and did the whole thing and then got back at like one 30 in the morning. It's, it's kind of weird. Like for our, for our uh, situation with downhill because we always have a training around the next day because it's our events are at the beginning mm-hmm. of the course. So, you know, we'll have three training runs and then we'll have the race. And one of those training runs always falls on the day after uh, the opening ceremony. So mm-hmm. we'll get like six hours of sleep before a training run, which is not mm-hmm. very awesome. Uh, it tires you out. So what I actually did this year, is I skipped the inspection and came up later. So everybody does the inspection usually, but I'd never done this before, but I just wanted to try it. And that, that goes into having gone to the other Mm -hmm. Olympics. I was like, you know what? Like, I feel like I'm in a position where I can try something here. And I, that I've been down this course before we had a test event a couple Mm of years before, nothing really changed that much. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to sleep. I'm going to get my, I'm going to get my eight hours and I'm going to skip inspection and I'm not going to get up at with five and a half hours sleep and go race a downhill when I've already been on the course full speed two times. Mm-hmm. So I slept in and I went and my, one of my teammates and I slept in and we came up there later, did a couple warm up runs, did the course. And it was my fastest run I had the whole week. It was great. But I was like, Holy shit, I feel good. Like I got to sleep. Everybody else is like baggy eyed and mm-hmm. you know, red eyes, like tired. And uh, we're like, hey, guys, like bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, you know. Mm-hmm. That's funny. <laughs> um, yeah, it was great. And, like, I, so it didn't affect me. And, like, that's something that you, like, you learn. You're like, you know what? Okay, I need to, like, keep it in the wrapper a few mm-hmm. more hours and uh, mm-hmm. so that I'm good to go in a day. But 
I love that. Yeah, man, that comes with the experience of being there once already. So um, that yeah. that's very smart. It, I mean, from from the sounds of it, it sounded like the first time you had a uh, there was just more of an experience there than the second time. But it still, it sounds like it was much, very much worth it to go the second time. Unfortunately, with the weather situation and everything, it didn't work out too well. But um, it is what it is, and and we rock and roll forward, man. So my next question is: twenty twenty two is coming up. We only got another only three years, depending on when you listen to this. So what's, yeah. uh, what are the prospects like? What is it looking like? And how was, uh, are we going to see Jared on the team one more time? Yeah. I, I mean, I hope so. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I think that things are just continuing to build and build and, uh, I'll be in a way better position then, you know, mm-hmm. and hopefully by then I'm able to be, you know, a heavy hitter on the world cup. I feel like that's coming soon. And, um, but you just you can't rush that this stuff. It takes time, and just continuing continuing to work on the little things and and the process and and getting stronger and getting mentally stronger and and uh, having continuing to have fun doing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm you know with our sport, it's funny. Like, yeah, we may be pretty popular <clears throat> in America, like every four years, but in Europe, we're like we're plenty popular over mm-hmm. there. So. I don't really care. Like I'm not, I'm not like thinking like about the Olympics every time I do a squat, you know, I'm thinking Mm -hmm. about the races that I have coming up in a little bit or like what I had for lunch that day. Like I'm not, I'm trying to stay like Mm -hmm. positive and everything I do and stay like present and uh, just keep enjoying it because you can't like, like I said, like why the hell would I think about the Olympics in 2022 when I went to this last Olympics and it was just windy and Mm -hmm. shitty. some mostly, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, I, and like that whole, obviously like that whole situation there was really on the otherwise, other than like the weather we had, like was really fun. I still got to race downhill. Like I represent my country and everything, but, uh, but you just, you can't put so much effort into one race, mm-hmm. the one, one couple, like a couple races. Like I need to think about what I'm doing until then, like one at a time, you know? Absolutely. So those races are going to be there and like, hopefully, hopefully they can make snow in Beijing or whatever they <laughs> up the track. I, mean, I don't even think they have the cat, the the track cut yet out of the trees so who knows so you, we um, got a while till then it's always a question like while, to ask just to make sure that you're gonna still be there at least he's gonna for it so we'll uh we'll have some still be going for it for sure yeah. i think I, I would like to continue doing this as long as i can so yeah man if you have fun doing it i mean it sounds like you hit the jackpot that's not too bad you get to hang out with people you like doing something you love every day um you know so it sounds like you got you got a pretty good pretty good setup there and yeah of course i mean obviously again with your sport and and many other sports just the fact that they are big in other places around the world that does make it again from an american's perspective unfortunately or 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 however um you like to look at it is i only get to really see you on tv once every four years so that's the time i'm kind of curious about but again as you said you race in front of 120,000 people sometimes um and you know so the olympics are almost just like a uh, formality if i may at that point so i just think it's it's cool and yeah man take it day by day see what happens and just just rock and roll from there that's all we can ask and we can say thank you for representing us twice crossing our fingers that you'll represent us a third time um maybe a fourth i don't know I mean, Bodie, as you said, did it five. I mean, why not you, right? Why not? Yeah. Rock yeah, and roll we'll with it, man. See as long as I can keep Strap it. Strap on your skis, right? It. Love I'll it, man. Putting on ski boots. Love it. So. Cool. <laughs> one question, um, one question I always like to ask, and, and of course, again, we understand that you're going to be rolling for the next few years, but, um, what, um, uh, what are, what's the, 
what's the career after the career? Is this something, I mean, you've been doing this, you've been skiing since you were two, so we know you're not going to stop skiing, but is there, is there something that you're looking forward to after? Cause we all know an athlete's career unfortunately ends relatively early in their life, right? Like mid thirties, depending, you know, some people are different than others. Um, and it sounds yeah. like in your sport that they can go for a little while, but what is there, are you, do you have any idea or is that something that you're not even worrying about and you're just going to, again, just take it day by day as you currently are? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I know that I want to do something in product design. I've mm-hmm. been, okay. I've been doing, I, I wanted to be an engineer, mechanical engineer. And, and then I figured out that's a whole lot of school and it's really hard to do it the way that I'm doing <laughs> it, which is like going to yeah. school for a couple, I take a couple classes every summer or whatnot. I'm like, okay, I don't know if I can do the mechanical engineering thing, but and that's too much math for me. I don't want to deal with that. Yeah, I respect However, that. So now I've been doing, uh, getting into a, a product design program <clears throat> at uh, the University of Utah. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's been really cool. Like I've been getting that hands-on and uh, building stuff. I build furniture. I've built a lot of furniture in my house and uh, built like long boards and wake boards and like all this stuff growing up. Like I really like that hands-on like, problem solving and figuring something out so um i'm definitely going to do something in that like i'd, I'd like to take i would start taking like some finance courses and and uh you know eventually i'll do entrepreneurial classes and just trying to you know i want to be the guy i want to design something and i want to make a business out of it and have everything under my control uh because i think i have a lot of good ideas and especially from from being in a high level of sport, you're always thinking about little tweaks mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know, some people don't give a shit and they just go on whatever. But like, I've always been thinking about little tweaks and stuff that I can do, you know, to uh, make my equipment better. And that's something that I've liked to do in other things in my, on my mountain bike and my kiteboarding and like everything. Like I like to tweak stuff and make it, make it better. So I don't really know other than that, like what I'm going to do. I'm going to mm-hmm. definitely do something in big mountain. I'll probably, I'd like to do some filming later on mm-hmm. uh, and kind of go like that. Um, like Darren Rolfe's route that he did uh, where he like finished his career as a racer, but then like had this whole other career that he continued, you know, comp- uh, he, well, he did ski across and, and whatnot, but he also did a lot of filming, which I, I'd love to do filming and go up to Alaska and do all that, that stuff. Uh, and just, you, you know, use my skills and, uh, that I've learned over the years for, to, to stay in, in the sport and, mm-hmm. and, uh, inspire others. That's what you do, man. Can, so. Any way, any way that we can rock and roll, man. I mean, I think it's, it's great that again, we're not trying to kick you out, man. We'll (laughs) let you keep gunning for the next 10 years, however long. I just, I like to hear when people, I mean, again, it's, you're an athlete and unfortunately the, the athletic part of your career will come, you know, sooner than most, you know, I'm going to be able to do what I do hopefully for the next 70 years. Um, you know, and it's just unfortunate in your situation, but it sounds like you figured out a way to stay within the sport you love and continue to do the things you love and, um, be able to perpetuate that. And as you said, inspires other, inspire others along the way. So, um, Jared, man, that's, that's about it for me. Thank you so much for your time today. This has been absolutely incredible. One more time, Jared Goldberg, USA skiing Alpine, two time Olympian, potentially four, five, six. I mean, shoot, we'll, we'll see. see. Whenever it stops, it stops. But until then, man, well, I'll just, I'll, uh, I'll, 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 <laughs> I'll pencil you in. How's that sound? So Jared, yeah. thank you so much for your time today, man. I sincerely appreciate it. This was such a fun conversation getting to hear all about what you've done and, and what you plan on doing, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. That was good.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Our Athletes with Jared Goldberg. I hope you guys really enjoyed it. As I said, he went to length to describe everything he went through, and that's exactly what I love when I get to speak with these athletes because I get to really immerse myself and understand everything they had to do. Jared obviously had some funny stories. He had some very honest moments, and we really appreciate that from him. So if you don't mind, make sure you go follow him on all his socials. Everything will be in the show notes. Please follow us as well at ourathletes.us on Instagram. Shoot me an email, michael at ourathletes.us. If you have any questions or some feedback, check out the website. See what we're doing, www.ourathletes.us. Also, please rate, review, subscribe, share, like, comment, Whatever you have to do, make sure more people can hear some of these stories because as you already know, these are some of the coolest, most amazing stories on planet Earth. So thank you guys so much. I sincerely, sincerely hope you have a wonderful day.